Welcome to the Finding Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Liz McComish. Just like a seed holds all the knowledge it needs to grow into the plant it was destined to be, I believe you hold all the wisdom within you to create the most amazing life. Join me and my special guests as we explore the path back into your innate wisdom and teach you how to harness it. This is your life to live your way. I have the beautiful Erin with me today. Erin's a Reiki master and I'm really grateful to have you on this podcast today because I, um, you know, I have studied Reiki not to the degree that you have and I don't um, practice in the way that you do either because I don't have that level of experience and, and training behind me. However, I um, have studied it to a degree and I've been to Reiki masters before and I found there were just absolutely incredible, like really authentic Reiki masters. And I'm often like telling people they, you know, go and get some Reiki, it'd be really, really great for you. And they're like, well, how does it actually work? And I thought, well, I have this perfect opportunity now to have you on here and you can tell everyone. So <laughs> what is Reiki, Erin? <laughs> great question. So, well, Reiki is a, um, it's a Japanese modality, actually, um, and it's only really just over 100 years old, I think. Last year was sort of the 100-year anniversary of when Makawa Sui, who developed the modality, brought it into being. Um, And so the direct translation is life force energy. And so the way that we as Reiki masters um, consider the work that we're doing is really by being a conduit for that greater energy that exists all around us and being like a nice little fountain for you to come and drink out of. So I often describe to people having a Reiki is a little bit like taking your car to the petrol station. So it's like your car needs petrol to run and it can run off half a tank fuel, quarter of a tank, but it'll run its best on a full tank of fuel. You know that feeling when you re- you fill your car up and it's a full tank and it just seems smoother, it just sort of drives a little bit nicer. So having a Reiki is a bit like that. It's like we're receiving energy each day. We're an organism. You've got a beautiful plant sitting behind you. You know, they are living beings. We are living beings. So we receive light And we use that, you know, convert that energy. And so we're very busy and often we're darting about and we're not really intentionally focusing on what we're doing with that energy. And so therefore we can spend it a little quicker than we might like. So having a Reiki is like having a really beautiful top up. Sort of my my job is to be trained to be a, a clear channel for you to receive a really, really beautiful yummy dose of that energy and then you know what what you do with it is up to you and sometimes people will sort of ask me well what do you mean by life force energy or or what do you mean by my body will know what to do with it well the best way I describe it is you know if you um, cut yourself so you say you cut yourself on your arm you don't micromanage the healing of that cut you know, you don't sit there each day like instructing your body what to do to, to, to clot the blood and to heal the cells. It's like your body has this natural intelligence and knows what to do and it draws upon that life force energy to do it. So that's, yeah. that's effectively our experience with Reiki. It's like we bring it in and then our body 
uses its own intelligence to do whatever it is it needs to do. It might be physical. I tend to tra- uh, attract uh, more clients who are working on more of a uh, emotional soul level, but it absolutely is, uh, yeah, physical, emotional, spiritual, however you need it. So where does our life force go, Erin? Like when we're on like a quarter of a tank or half a tank, like what sort of things, you know, is happening to people that they feel like all their energy is so low and their life force is not perhaps doing all that healing that they they needed to do? Yeah, so there's a few places. Um, and if you look at it in the most basic form, it's it's our physical output. So often we forget that we're actually animals that have very specific needs you know we're so sort of evolved in our thoughts that we forget that fundamentally we're an animal and so the basics you know we need enough sleep we need water we need food so obviously if we're neglecting those things we're going to run out of energy in the way that a lot of people understand energy like you'll hear someone say I've just got no energy so that's the physical aspect, but on a on a more emotional level, it can be when we are doing things that aren't in alignment with our authentic self. So that might be, for example, oh, you know, mum said I should really go visit the cousins this weekend, but Debbie's always so dramatic and intense and I always feel so drained when I'm around her. So the experience of going and visiting Cousin Debbie, she's not taking your energy from you, right? Like she's not pinching it from you. But what you're articulating or what you're experiencing is that you are doing something that is not filling you up. You're doing something that's out of alignment with who you are and what you need. And so therefore that energy just kind of like goes off. It doesn't feed you. It doesn't come back to you compared to when you do so say for example you love painting it doesn't matter if you like consider yourself an artist or not but you just love painting yeah so you might go do that and you find hours slip away and you're not even hungry you forgot you know you forgot to eat and and so in those situations that's what i taught that's what i like to refer to as a uh, a good investment of energy you know you get a good return on your investment because that activity or person or experience is feeding that energy back you know it's topping you up so often that's what's happening is it's like we're not really clear on those things that are not great investments of our energy and so they just might be tiny things but you add up a whole bunch of tiny things and all of a sudden you've spent all your energy for the day and you're wondering why you're feeling so drained. So we're drawing in energy from like universal energy all the time, right? And so when we are doing something that we are in the flow of doing, like painting or, or something else that really like lights us up, then we are drawing more in and is it moving through us in a way that's really um, like a flow, like an easy flow? And when we're doing things that really don't light us up and that really you know we struggle with um you know perhaps emotionally being around certain people are we not drawing in as much of that energy I think it's and look different people will have different philosophies on this because really 
at the end of the day, we're all humans really experimenting with what goes on in the energetic realm. But what we can say is that when we are doing things like those poor investments of energy, we're activating all the stresses in our body. We're, you know, switching on those stress responses. So on a on a physiological level, we're actually consuming and losing some of that energy. I don't think it's necessarily a case that we are drawing or not drawing in certain amounts of energy. It's more to do with how it cycles through us and and what we are using it for on all levels of our being. So are we utilizing that that life force energy to heal something really physical? So for example, you know, or emotional. And because it's really interesting, I'll, I'll talk to people who are having a really uh, difficult emotional time. They've had a traumatic event, something's happened, and they wonder why they can't just get up and on with it and why it's, you know, but that happened six months ago. Why am I still, you know, and obviously you have a whole body of knowledge yeah, to tap yeah. into on this, you know, but some, yeah. something that I'll often say to them is if you've broken your leg, would you just try and go running on it? Like before you'd given it the time and space and the things it needed to heal? Of course not. Like, But yeah. we don't think about ourselves as energetic beings so well still. You know, we're learning about that part of ourselves. And so just as over the centuries we've learnt about ourselves as physical beings, you know, we no longer just drill into someone's head because they've got a headache. <laughs> It's the same with energy. It's like we're learning how to treat ourselves in that way and we're learning what we need to heal or to maximise that energy and and use it in the the creative process. Yeah, I mean, and and time has really, like, distanced us from that energetic field, hasn't it? I mean, I know we're coming back to it. There's been a big movement back to it. But there's a period of time in history where, it was we were just cut off from that and I mean look I don't know I sort of think that it was in sort of certain institutions best interest to seem to hold the key to energy and to you know to spirit and so on because then they had some sort of control over us so I guess in a way we really gave over a lot of we were taught to give give over a lot of our um, power regarding our own energy weren't we yeah, absolutely. And to just even to get to a point where we have to now remember that we are energetic beings shows how far really we've come. And mm-hmm. I do consider us, you know, when we act from a place of compassion for ourselves because we have something going on, on that more energetic or emotional level, like it's an act of defiance. It's a rebellion and it's remarkable yeah. that that's the life that we're living. You know, when you talk about these systems and structures, it's it's an act of rebellion to say, oh, actually I need some time to kind of get myself together or to, you know, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, you're right because society does not push that at all. It's like just get out there, get on with it, you know, no pain, no gain, like, the whole idea of being busy, oh, I'm so busy, has some sort of level of cred to it. And, in fact, we're just depleting ourselves consistently, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. And I really observe it. A lot of my clients are womb keepers. And, you know, there's 
there's a lot to be said for, and I know it gets bandied around so much, so I almost roll my eyes when I'm saying it, but it's true. The, this patriarchal structure that does really invest in action and output and goals and busyness and materialism and consumerism when for many womb keepers, you know, their real true authentic state is one of actually being more intuitive, of feeling and of exploring. And and I think sometimes when we consider that, it's like the pendulum goes too far and people freak out and go, oh, but if we're all just feeling and exploring, then nothing would ever get done. And, it, you know, obviously yeah, that's yeah. not true. You look, you look at a mother managing her children like, you know, yeah. womb keepers know how to get stuff done. It's it's more <laughs> though that we're just, you yes. know, like. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> we do. Yeah. So it's like, it's actually just about, um, yeah, relearning. And, and for me, almost when, I, when I'm considering these conversations around the patriarchy, it, it's not, yes, it's about being able to reactivate and elevate the importance and reverence of the feminine, but ultimately it's about balance, right? Like mm. we need yes, both. 100%. And what's interesting is that energy output is very yang, which is a very masculine way of being. And so totally. we've been sort of dragged into that space. And, you know, regardless of what you identify as, everyone has the feminine and masculine energy within them. So the masculine's about the doing side of us and the feminine's about like drawing back and like that intuition and being within and so on. So we need that balance of both so that we can be in, in harmony in our lives. You know what's interesting is I see... A lot of my clients that come to me will have, you know, certain body things that are going on for them that I can all, there's always a theme that's connected to their trauma. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that at all regarding the energy in our body and does it, does it go off course or something when we've had traumas that are relevant to certain parts of our body, even if it's heartbreak and therefore our heart, physically our heart can really feel like it's breaking, but what happens with our life force around that? Yeah, so the system of Reiki has um, evolved around or I guess um, interwoven with the understanding of energy in the body from a perspective of the chakra system. So when we talk about the chakra system, we're talking about, you know, these little wheels of energy that run through our body and and I like to imagine them as like little um, filing cabinets. It's like we've got these different little filing cabinets throughout our body and we've sort of categorised each filing cabinet to contain information about different aspects of of ourself or our life. And Caroline Mace is someone that talks a lot about um, the chakra system and, and what happens to our body. She's a medical intuitive. What happens to our body when we store emotion? And so from the perspective of Reiki, we can um, explore certain things based on where there may be some physical injury or disharmony uh, and that will pertain to generally some certain themes for somebody. So, you know, if we're looking at like lower back issues, for instance, often that might relate to someone feeling unsupported. It may also intertwine with some issues around finances or sort of um, material security. You know, definitely when we're um, exploring around 
somebody, for example, with breast cancer, we would want to inquire just around, you know, how much output they have for the people in their life that they love or even just broadly for their community versus the compassion and love they have for themselves, you know. So there, but as always, it's an inquiry. I'm so mindful of some of the harmful rhetoric that is in the wellness world around, you know, you created your disease, you know, and and therefore... Yeah, it's really dangerous rhetoric. Um, And so I'm always really mindful when we're talking in these spaces about being really specific. Um, I do not believe that you would choose or bring illness upon yourself, but I do believe that things come into our life for a reason. And I do believe that there is always gold and wisdom within every circumstance and that our bodies are beautiful tools that want to work with us and will speak to us sometimes quite aggressively (laughs) yeah if we have fallen a little bit off course you know it's like yeah that's that is my experience of you know I've been working one-on-one with clients for over a decade and that's certainly been my observation is that there is one always something to gain from any illness and two that there will be some relationship to your body and some choices that are happening in your life or an unresolved trauma. Yeah, yeah. Or perhaps that that illness or whatever's going on is helping to redirect us in a way. You know, like you say, if your output's way too much, then, you know, I know many people have had a full-on illness and when they... Like they can get to a point where they're like, I, I'm actually really grateful to it now because it made me redirect my life and it made me redirect my energy. And had I not done that, I would never have realised this part of myself or moved down that particular path. Because I, I agree with you, our body will end up really like yelling at us at times to go, hey, you know, come back to me, come back to me. Um, Absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah, I I know. I mean, I had some some pretty like brutal like lessons and experiences within that realm that, you know, I'm, again, I'm always mindful of sharing because I don't want anyone else to feel like if they've had similar uh health experiences that that, you know, they that's their journey to explore and understand why that might have happened, but my journey um you know, one aspect of me understanding this on a really experiential level was when I'd completed my Reiki mastership, I was still working full time uh, in the not-for-profit organization that I worked for. And I'd made a commitment to myself that I would go back, I would go down to four days a week so I could focus a week on building my Reiki practice. And so I'd, I'd made that commitment. And then not so long after I found out that I was pregnant, And as soon as that happened, my mind spiraled into all these stories around financial security and what I needed to do in order to prepare for this baby. And I couldn't possibly go down to four days a week because, you know, how would we all survive? And not long after that, I miscarried that baby, which was, of course, totally heartbreaking and a really dark pocket of time and I processed that and resolved again that I would go down to four days a week and 
start my practice and became pregnant again. And you think, no, I shouldn't say you think that I would have figured it out because that was part of my journey. But of course, I did the exact same thing. And I had another miscarriage. And then not long after that, I also had an extreme back injury that literally laid me out. I, could, I couldn't get up. I could barely walk. I had no choice but to just lie and heal. And that was where it really dropped in. It was like, do you see the pattern of where you're promising to create and then saying, I don't want to create whilst life was trying to create inside of me. And so finally at the back injury, I got it and I went to four days a week and, you know, I have two beautiful children now. Um, But it was a real learning around understanding how our body can speak to us, with us, And also just around, you know, this idea of our authentic selves and what it means to actually listen to that part of ourself, despite all the stories and the beliefs that have been laid upon us since we were tiny, right? And that's that's a big body of my work is I'm so passionate about helping people uncover those unconscious beliefs because they're so sneaky you know we don't even know they're there half the time and they're just driving so much of our life that it's sometimes these really brutal intense experiences that kind of flush them out so that then at least when we can see them we can choose what we want to do so with Reiki when you're doing Reiki with someone do those things start to come to the surface for them do they have those insights that come up so Reiki, uh, I, I I would refer to it when we talk about those emotional databases, those little filing cabinets in our body. It's almost like Reiki is a gentle spring clean through those little filing cabinets. And so if there's old stuff that's there that doesn't need to be there anymore, sometimes it can get gently stirred up and lifted up to the surface and released, um, which may mean in the moment people feel like, oh, what was that? You know, there was some sadness. Like in the moment during a Reiki, they're like, why am I crying? Or why am I all of a sudden thinking about this person I haven't thought about for a decade? And it's almost like we're pulling that little file out and we're looking at it as it's going off to the universe, you know, (laughs) to be transmuted. So, yes, these things can can present themselves for insight or clarity, reflection. Uh, the thing with Reiki is just as, you know, we are so individually unique as people, our experience of Reiki is equally unique. So it's really difficult to be able to tell someone what their experience of Reiki will be because I don't know. I don't know what your experience of Reiki is going to be. You know, it's ju- it's my job to be this really clear tube, if you like, for it to yeah. flow through and into you and then we're going to see together what that's going to be like for you. I love that so much because everyone's so unique and so for it to be a, you know, I'm going to come in and bring this in and let's see what comes up for you and you can obviously hold space for what comes up for your clients means that yeah they start to be able to reconnect into themselves and I love that sense of it just feels so gentle to me mm-hmm. that 
the energy can move through them and start to clear out some of those filing cabinets and for them to be able to maybe, you know, maybe they're crying and they're like, I'm not sure what this is, but that's okay. And it's literally your body clearing out stuff that you don't need to hold on to. Um, I just find that so beautiful. Yeah. It is pretty special and it's something, you know, another another way that you can think about Reiki is unconditional love because, again, as a Reiki master, that's the space that we hold, that's the energy and the frequency, if you like, that we go into as we're about to give Reiki or be in space with you. And so when you think of it from that point of view, it's, yeah, it's this loving energy coming into you going, you don't need to carry this anymore. Let me take that one for you. You know, it's okay. It's t- it's time. It's time to let it go. Yeah. And, and it is with that. About, yeah, and that's one of the biggest parts about, about trauma healing is like to be connected to that unconditional love. So when we're babies, and our primary caregiver is giving that to us, they're creating that stability in us. They're creating that ability for us to actually know that unconditional love is there when things feel yucky, right? So sensations when a baby's little and sensations of being hungry come up or sensations of having, um, you know, wet themselves or sensations of wanting to be cuddled, those sensations are, they feel really uncomfortable in a baby's body and so they cry out. So then to get met with unconditional love begins this process of going, wow, I can have uncomfortable things happen in my life and at the same time I can ask for unconditional love and when the two of them come together, I can manage whatever goes on. Mm -hmm. So for so many trauma pathways, the trauma has happened without that connection to unconditional love, which means that it it becomes a trauma because it gets stuck in the person they can't actually get it out because it's too overwhelming for them. So for you to, through your Reiki, be able to infuse that person with that unconditional love and through your very presence, it makes so much sense that our bodies will then go, oh, my God, I've just been met with unconditional love. I know yeah. this because our bodies know it. We have that soul imprint. We know it. It's just that the human part of us gets disconnected from it. So to get reconnected and go, I can actually let this stuff come to the surface now because I've just been met with unconditional love. Like it brings tears to my eyes. It's really, you know, when you think about all the healing modalities in the world and everything's being driven to this healing pathway now and mass catharsis and all the rest of it, and yet to be in that very subtle space of just receiving unconditional love, your body can start to heal itself. Yeah. Yeah, and it is in that subtlety, you know, like you mentioned that even in healing there's so much masculinity these days of like we're so trained to want things to happen hard and fast. I'm going to do this thing and it's going to excavate my soul and rip me apart and I'm going to be, you know, so dramatic, right? And (laughs) Yes. And often ungrounded and unintegrated and, you know, can do more damage than good, unfortunately. With Reiki, it's really so many people, like you say, being met with unconditional love. For a lot of people, I observe, it's like the first time in a really long time that they've felt that feeling. And it's it's quite profound And it can be emotional for people because they realise how long it's been missing in their lives or what it feels like to be held. I think 
even if we had a great relationship growing up with our parents, there's still this sense as we step into adulthood of like, oh shit, like who's parenting me now? Like Mm. say if I, even if I have a great relationship with my parents, they're getting older and now I feel the dynamic shift and I'm kind of parenting them, especially of our generation. I have lots of thoughts and feelings about our parents' generation and their ability (laughs) to parent. And Anyway, that's another conversation. But stepping into the Reiki space really allows people to feel held by someone. You know, that's my job. That's what I do. And it bypasses the brain. It bypasses this part of us that wants to throw all the stories in of like, you don't deserve this, or you're not good enough, or, you know, Reiki's not interested in that conversation. It's not speaking to that part of you. Reiki is a lived experience and it it enters your body and you feel it. It's like a number of my clients fall asleep during a Reiki and more often than not, the ones that do are the ones that have really active and potentially negative minds, you know, that that their self-talk can get a little bit nasty and spirit, whoever you want to refer to, just knows and just goes, all right, we're just going to take you out for a minute so that we can just get in and and do what we need to do uninterfered. And it's it's that gentleness and that subtlety that allows people, you know, allows their nervous system to downregulate. My favourite sound during a Reiki is someone's stomach gurgling because I'm like, thank God, they've dropped into parasympathetic. They're resting and repairing. Amazing. You know, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. My stomach was so noisy. And I'm like, do not apologise. It's my favourite sound. It's so funny you say that because I find that with my clients all the time. The second their stomach starts gurgling, I go, yes, right, we're ready. We're ready. Like we're ready to do some work. And they're always like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's <laughs> like, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's even that in and of itself, you know, it's, it's, it's showing how separated we are from our animal selves, you know, and how strong-minded we've become to the extent that it, it dis- you know, we're almost like just discombobulated. You know, when people yes. talk about where there's like walking heads or whatever, like yeah, forgotten that we've got this whole other part of our body that we can tune into for wisdom and, for, you know. Yeah, and our bodies have been, I think our bodies have been ashamed so much. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't understand the gurgling part, like when you are in under immense stress, all of your energy is taken away from things like digestion. So when you come back into a resting space, your digestive system starts to gurgle and starts to work. And so you're back, you're coming back from that, you know, that hyper arousal state of, you know, I've got to be hyper vigilant with the world because so much is going on for me. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing that really weaves in with that is um, when we're in that stress state that you speak of, one of the other things it does, aside from shutting down the digestive system, as you would know, is it shuts down the, the really clear thinking parts of our brain. Mm. Like it shuts down those rational parts. So often I will come people have people come into session with me and they're in chaos or crisis or they're feeling like they're really lacking clarity in some aspect of their life. And actually just mm. 
being in a space, receiving Reiki, dropping into that restful state automatically makes it so much easier for them to get a sense and a read and a clarity on their life because their brain in that part comes back online. You know, they've been been in survival. Yeah, Yeah, they've just been racing around trying to manage all the perceived dangers and spot fires that there is no space for creative thinking. There's no space for really true, deep problem solving or tapping into their intuitive self from a deeper place Mm -hmm. that actually does have the answers for them, but their body's just so hypervigilant that they can't connect with that part of themselves. Does it take them long for... I mean, obviously, this is a, this is a question. It's like, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> but I can imagine people who are overthinkers kind of going, "Oh, Reiki could be terrifying because I'm kind of just dropping into that space." Does it take long for them to come out of that hypervigilant thought stream and into being able to actually rest into it? It can. There are certain things I do to help bring them more easefully into that state. And I also find that's why my, the way that I consult is that we actually speak for a little while. You know, we bring some energy into the space before I start the Reiki with you because it's a bit of that like taking the lid off the soft drink bottle that's been shaken up, just letting some of that energy out a bit you know because the mind's like but I have to tell you this I have to tell you this is what I'm thinking and this is the problem and I'm like okay mind you say what you need to say and then you can take a break for a minute like thank you we've heard you and all your knowledge and wisdom now I'd like to speak to the deeper part and see what's you know what you really have to say it's such profound work, isn't it? Like you must be so moved when you work with your people. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's it it feels like a privilege and I and I don't say that lightly. Like I, you know, some of the things that we're navigating, the thing, you know, our culture is so uh uneducated and untrained around navigating the dark spaces you know when we talk about death when we talk about like you know true deep heartbreak trauma like so many people just it freaks them out they do not know how to approach it or how to support somebody that is going through that you know so for me and I it's funny I come from a line of death workers you know my pop was an undertaker my mum was an assistant coroner my uncle was the head of the homicide squad in the police (laughs) so it's not surprising that I have a particular leaning towards holding space for grief because I don't feel like there's a lot of places that People can feel safe enough to do that. There's a fear in people. If I fall into this, if I allow myself to feel this pain or explore this grief within me, I'm going to fall into a hole and I'm not going to be able to come back out again. I'm going to lose myself. I'm going to get stuck, you know, and I think that's a really true fear for a lot of people. Um, And so for me to be able to hold space for all of that, you know, to hold space for people whose parents are dying or have died 
or partners or child or are navigating really significant illness and want, you know, and unclear around how to navigate that. You know, to me, being able to to show up and hold space in that way is, yeah, it's it's an immense privilege. Yeah, definitely. And once again, like, you know, you meeting that depth of emotion with unconditional love, which is so healing because, I mean, I have a lot of people that will come to me and say they they do have grief, for example, but society doesn't know how to hold that space and people are like, oh, just don't talk to them about it, just forget it, just get on with it, be positive around them. And what someone who is experiencing deep loss actually needs more than anything else is for someone to say, I hear you, I'm with you, you know, and you can be whoever you are in this space and you don't need to forget about the person that you've lost or the thing whether right. it might even be a job or a home or, or a pet mm-hmm. or whatever it is that you're experiencing grief around, you don't need to forget that. It's like, but your relationship to whoever that was or whatever that was has now changed. And through the actual grieving process, then you get to find your way into new relationship. So it becomes something different. And that person might not be there physically, but you you find a new way to be in relationship that is that, that has so much beauty and love in it. You know, yeah. I had um, I experienced a lot of grief recently when my my son. Um, so I had a lot of sexual trauma when I was younger, and so and I had suppressed it all and had self medicated and done all that stuff. And then when I had my first baby, the first birth was very difficult, which is no surprise because I was obviously basically stimulating all those centers and opening all those centers that were involved in my body with the sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And I had postnatal depression afterwards that I really struggled with, but that first child was my stimulus to really go and heal. And I had done a lot of like theoretical work in healing before that. I'd done a lot of counselling. I had Carolyn Mace. I loved her. She was my first book that I read when I was about nineteen, and I just went, "Anatomy of the Spirit." This is like this is where I'm going. Like I felt the stirring inside me. I was like, "This is mm-hmm. this is real," but. The actual inner work myself started when that first child came along and the the really deep looking at my shadows and going into that absolute depth of all the pain I was storing in my body. And Mm -hmm. when he turned 16, which was only a week ago, I had a day where I hit the ground with grief that was just indescribable. And I write, so all I could do was write about it. I couldn't speak about it. There was nothing else I could do apart from write, and I did. But the grief was huge and I experienced it for the entire day and the next day when I woke up, it had shifted. But also something had shifted in me and I had new space in me and new inspiration and new wisdom and not only that, but a new sense of love and respect for my child for what he brought to my life. Yeah, amazing. And that's that that ability to allow yourself to sit with the grief to actually acknowledge it and then through journaling or you know what other practices feel good for you let the grief move through you because that's what I observe is so many people experience some form of pain through you know trauma of whatever form and 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 again I think it's always really useful to be specific about that because, again, you know, we're taught this idea of trauma has to be 
oh, trauma means I was hit by a truck. I can't possibly be traumatized by my pet dying. Like that's not a, you know, but actually, yeah, (laughs) it is. It is a form of trauma and it's causing you to store pain in your body. And so the ability to recognize grief and to give it permission to come up and out and through you is the best possible thing you can do for yourself because that is where we see, you know, illness does start to percolate up because we, let's say these filing cabinets are in us, we only have so much space in each filing cabinet. And if we've crammed them with stuff and we're not ever letting any of it out, we're just going to get so full to the point that our body goes, whoa, like too much. I'm going to have a breakdown. I'm going to have some sort of, you know, my body physically cannot store any more of this stress and pain. And we do know that to be true about the body. You know, when we talk about soma, like of the body, that the the pain is stored in our cells. So we need to give ourselves a vehicle to let stuff move through. And I think with grief, we, and you know, I was with a client only yesterday who's navigating the loss, a very sudden and tragic loss of her father and she, and just discussing the ways in which her workplace was not at all supportive of her grieving process. And so we, you know, really had to ensure that she was allowing herself spaces for grief and compassion for self because we get told, oh, well, it's been, you know, it's been a month now. Come on, move on. You're ready. Let's go. Like we've got to get on with things. And when that happens and we haven't moved through stuff, we, oh, okay, well, I want to belong. Like I want to be loved and I don't want to be, you know, kicked out of this metaphorical tribe. So I better just suck it up. But in the sucking it up, we're, you know, it's got to go somewhere in us. And I just think the more as a society we can allow space for things like crying would be so useful. You know, there's this fear that if someone's crying, I've got to fix it. I've got to hand them the box of tissues. I've got to intervene in some way. And it's like, just let the person cry. They're not going to yeah. cry forever. Like, yeah. just meet them with unconditional love, right? And it's yes. interesting isn't it, that that our fear of that can hold us out of that space. So it's just it's literally us not having met our own inner emotional right. suppression means we yeah. can't be there for someone else because it triggers us too much so we're trying to shut it down but once you start to learn how to work with your own emotions and meet yourself with unconditional love you have so much more empathy for others you can hold space for others in your life in such a beautiful way yeah that's so true you know we hear this statement of you know make sure your cup's filled first before you you know try and help out others and it becomes I think something that people you know again they sort of start to roll their eyes at but the truth of it yeah. is, you know, the extent to which you can hold compassion for yourself and can empathize with your own experience and condition is the extent to which you can have compassion and empathy and non-judgment for others. Like if you're struggling to not judge someone, I can guarantee you <laughs> that you are equally judging yourself and that's probably because you experienced something as a child where an important significant person or it was enough of an experience to like land in you somebody told you you shouldn't have that 
compassionate place for the thing, whatever it is that you're now judging the other person for. So it's like that's part of what I consider as our jobs as space holders for people is to, and it's really hard work, to be as compassionate as possible towards myself so therefore I have the ability to do that on the deepest possible level, not just on that surface level. You know, we're all we're all good to a certain extent to be able to offer compassion in this kind of intellectual way, but then we go home and we're like, oh, well, but really, like, I would have probably, you know, I'd been able to suck it up in that moment. Yeah. Even though I'm telling her she, it's fine, she's crying, yes. but, like, yeah. it wouldn't be fine if I was crying, right? So it's like we're good at this surface level, but the deep, deep level where it's like, oh, I see you. I see you. I honour you, I love you, you know, to the extent to which we can truly deeply say that to ourselves yeah, is therefore the extent that we can offer that to our children, to our partner, to whomever. And I think also like something that's really interesting to consider is this whole the world is our mirror because I think that gets misconstrued over and over again as well. You know, like other people say to me, oh, well, um, you know, if, if if that's my mirror, then, you know, that person's really, really awful to me. Does that mean that I'm really awful? And it's like maybe it's showing you that it's time to set some really good boundaries for yourself. Maybe it's time, it's leading you into looking at, you know, where your self-compassion is and perhaps where it's not and how you can actually work on that. Yeah, I think that that interesting piece around interpretation is is part of why I really love working one-on-one yeah. with people because it, we really need to reflect upon any given situation or condition from our own place. So it's like, oh, that piece around someone being a, aggressive towards me, does it mean X or Y? Well, it depends, <laughs> right? It depends on what's going on for us, what our experience is, like you say, around boundaries, you know, it's really tuning into the specifics of an individual. Um, And I think that's the important thing. If you are ever being um, taught by someone or being told that there is a particular thing or, you know, way of doing or being, just to query it because it's like, well, Maybe that is true for me, but maybe it's not. And I think we really just need to remember that we all are really nuanced individuals, you know, and to be able to trust what's within ourselves, you know, to not wait for someone else to tell us what's this or that. Look, I could not agree with you more because I just, in this world, we've become so templated and in the world of, say, for example, of yoga, there are all these alignment points that apparently everyone's meant to follow, yet every single body is different anatomically and every every emotional space is different and every experience that people have had is different from the person next to them. So to have one size fits all, I feel like the templated versions come into the spirit world and that's in fact the opposite or the energy world and that's in fact the opposite of what energy is trying to teach us. Yeah. Yeah, so basically our world has started to apply templates to working with energy, which is the opposite of what energy actually is. So every person has a different, their physiology is different, you know, their anatomy is different, their experiences are different, the way they 
feel emotions, the way they express emotions, what's been suppressed in them, what hasn't been suppressed in them, etc., is so unique from one person to the next. And this templating that's been happening in our world, like, really is the opposite of where we want to go. Yeah, 100%. And it's, you know, I bring it back to that space of first and foremost, looking after the animal body, because I feel like when we look after the animal body of ourselves, we are far better placed to be able to tune into what we actually need. So to tune into like, who is going to be the right person to help facilitate my healing? What is going to be the best approach for me, opposed to just responding to all the noise that is outside of you oh this is the way you know this do this thing and then it'll all be fixed or you know it's like we really need to be brave enough to listen to ourselves to listen to our own intuition and and sometimes that can feel really difficult and hard and often it is because of the lack of just physical care we've given ourselves and you know maybe there's other stuff going on financial stress and things like that but really being able to listen to ourselves what actually do I need because you know what more often than not you'll have an answer you will just have followed that answer so quickly with one of your stories or beliefs that's shut it down almost before you can really contemplate it it's like the volume on your intuition if you haven't been using it actively for a while, gets turned down so low that you feel like you don't know, but it's just because you're not hearing it or because the noise in your mind is like a bouncer that's just like not letting that intuitive knowing in the front door. So in the space you're working in though, like you are you are the vehicle for that life force to really come through that person and to fill that person up so they can listen to their own inner voice. That's why I kind of um, I feel like Reiki is a really great doorway for people because it does bring them closer to that space of their heart space, their soul space, their ability to understand things for each other. I have worked for many years doing this um, and also grew up from a very young child receiving information of people around me. So that's not Reiki. However, it is a part of my sessions. So, and that's something that I will very clearly delineate and separate for people. What is the actual experience of Reiki and what is the experience of me having always received information around, you know, people that I'm in connection with. So sometimes in a session with me, we will have discussions about things that have come through for you during that session, but it's always just a, it's a exploration, you know, it's just, you know, this is interesting. This is in the space. How do you feel about that? What do you think when I mention this, you know, and sometimes spirit does want to speak in a way that allows someone, you know, it's like, um, you're thinking about something, but when you hear it from a completely unrelated source, all of a sudden you go, oh, well, that must be a thing then because there's no way they could know. Mm. So if they're saying it, then it must be true. So sometimes that happens in session where spirit just does want to confirm something for someone, you know, to, to kind of help them yeah. along the path. But the experience of Reiki itself is, yeah, it's really, it's like opening a door. And 
you know, I always encourage people to seek out um, practitioners and healing modalities that feel right and true for them. And, And the beautiful thing about Reiki is that it is what is considered complementary healing. And that means that it complements other forms of healing really beautifully. So I've had clients that have been on a cancer journey and come to me because they are, you know, really nervous about going down an allopathic, you know, medical path. Um, and they're thinking that they want to have chemo, for example, and they think by disclosing that to me that I'm going to, you know, go all wellness world on them and, and, and make them feel like they're doing something wrong. And that's just not the case. For me, it's like, if you choose that path, that's absolutely your path. It's your empowered choice. Reiki can absolutely support you in that. And actually my focus in that instance would be to ensure that that person has a really positive relationship with their chemo medication. So we often, you know, I've I've had clients that have named their chemotherapy like they've given them a name like they've got a personalized name so that they can actually have a loving nurturing relationship with what they're putting into their body so it's like I don't yeah I I, Reiki is not there to be this answer it just is (laughs) Reiki just is you know yeah yeah and so someone who's been practicing for a long time Erin like I just I find in in the world that I work in, um, you know, trauma really came to the fore really only in the last couple of years. People have been speaking about it everywhere. Like mm. it's absolutely everywhere. And the problem with that is that it's become a, a theory, whereas trauma work is actually the opposite of a theory. It's the embodied path. And trauma has become this theory, once again, where everyone seems to know all of it from this neocortex point of view yet the actual pathways in can be less spoken about. But not only that, but I'm finding that there's people popping up everywhere who's like, oh, you just need like a massive catharsis. Like you need to go, if if you felt a lot of like grief when you were younger, you just need to come and just get all the grief out at once or come and like get all your anger out or come and get all of this out. And that's not how it works. It's far more subtle. Like people need to, when they're working, um, on working with their trauma, it, it comes from a place where it's held with so much love and it's so titrated yes. because you, if you go in there and do it in that massive way, it's just going to re-traumatise you. And, I, you know, I'm wondering, like, in your in your experience of Reiki and your experience of the healing world, like, you know, if you're getting examples of this sort of stuff coming to you as well. Yeah, I think I, I experience a lot of... Um managing of expectations for people around what healing is supposed to look like, how long healing is supposed to take, you know, because it's such an abstract concept, you know, and especially when we're looking at it with regards to trauma on an emotional level, we're not just saying, oh, you know, how long is it going to take for my broken arm to heal? Because we can kind of you know, we can quantify that, we can look at that. But when we're talking about healing on this emotional level, I absolutely uh, find myself often having to help people come to a more compassionate understanding of what healing actually looks like for them specifically, you know, what what would it look like for them to experience healing and to be able to have that patience 
and compassion to gently excavate, you know, to, to, to gently inquire, to not feel like there's this, yeah, need to rip yourself apart, which is so much of what I'm seeing out there, you know, and to anyone that's listening and is considering finding someone to support them in their healing, please don't go off somebody's number of Instagram followers. Like, because that, you know, there's yes. so many people out there that yeah. have these huge followings that are, you know, which we've been trained to therefore believe somebody is an expert. Somehow that has become a marker of someone's expertise and their validity and their credibility. Um, but certainly a lot of what I've observed out in that space is there's a huge lack of integrity um, and a huge lacking in really genuinely having a person's healing and process at the forefront of their intention of why they're doing the work they're doing. And that might be an extreme thing for me to say, but that's what I have experienced. And I think that, you know, with that comes these, yeah, these big grand, you know, mass events or, or, you know, come and have this really extreme experience at this one day workshop that's going to transform your life. But actually, like you say, you have this peak experience, you have this, you know, really heightened experiential moment. So at the time you're like, oh, this is doing something amazing. But then you come home and often feel a little bit confused or you don't know where to put that now that you're sort of back in your everyday life. And that that can be really re-traumatizing. It can be very um, confusing and at times harmful because we're not caring about the nuance of somebody's experience and, yeah, everything that comes with that. Mm, totally. And you know the other thing that I see, you know, which I I feel like um, is, is really disrupting this whole world as well is the perfection that we see on social media because if, you know, a real, like a healer in their total integrity is always going through their own stuff, like they're always working on a deeper and deeper and deeper level with themselves. And in fact, like if you're not doing that, you know, you're not growing as a healer. Like, do you know what I mean? You need to be able to continually yeah. keep going into that space and working with your own stuff. And no one has no stuff. We all have it. And if you're seeing someone right. on social media who seems to be perfect and completely have their life together, then, you know, you might, you can have your life together, obviously, but we're humans. We're meant to feel. We go through challenging things. You know, if you, if you love anyone, you're going to experience loss and grief at some stage. If you love your pet, you'll experience loss and grief. Life does not just hit this spot where it becomes neutral ground and you just cruise along this neutral space. Yeah, absolutely. For me, a really big word is nuance, you know. Life is nuanced. We have times of joy. Yeah. We have times of deep sadness and there is no you know, there's no end point to our, well, other than when we die, there is no point at which we go, oh, I'm healed, for example. 
you know, there's always something to encounter. We're on this mm. constant, ever-evolving journey. And, yeah, you're right. Like we all have to be really accountable to our own experience. And I think that for me what healing looks like is our ability to navigate each situation as it comes up for us with the most amount of compassion and non-judgment. Like that's what healing looks like to me. We're always going to be encountering uncomfortable or painful situations from time to time in our lives. And how we process those in the moment is what enables us to feel, I guess, the greatest sense of healing in our life. If that's, you know, if we want to look at life from that perspective of of our journey of healing, it's really about how aware we are of our own process, how aware we are of our thoughts and, you know, how we then integrate that into the way that we show up for ourselves. So it's not, you know, this idea that there's a thing that heals you really, again, just falls into that kind of masculine paradigm around let's put a nice bow around something, let's complete the project because we're so trained to kind of, you know, do the thing and sign off. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> look at nature, right? There's there's no yeah. end point. It's cycles. Everything is a cycle. Our seasons are a cycle. Our day is a cycle. Sun goes up, sun goes down, you know. Tide goes in, tide goes out. We are innately part of that natural cycle. We go through our own cycle of birth, through life, through death, you know. And so when we start to consider our lives as parts of cycles, we have that overarching cycle of life and death, but then we have these smaller cycles throughout our lives. When we think about it from that point of view, we're not looking for the shiny bow end point. And we're not being hard on ourselves when something else comes up. You know, it's like, oh, I thought I dealt with this. I thought I was over attracting dodgy guys. I thought I, you know, I thought I dealt with my kind of, you know, binge eating, you know, stuff. Why am I doing it again? I'm, I'm, I'm failed. No, you're not. You just experience that cycle on a deeper level. There's, There's something still there for you. Now that you've done all the growth that you have, there's like a new thing for you to explore or to move through. And, you know, I just think it can be really helpful to consider, is this person in in the healing world offering me something to support my cycle or are they offering me some sort of end point event? And if they're offering me this kind of fix fix all end point, then I might think twice about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people often talk about surrender. That's the other thing that's used mm. a lot, like just surrender into it, surrender, go with the flow type of thing. And surrendering is actually something that takes work and dedication <laughs> and because to surrender into your life and where you are and who you are and everything that comes up, that requires us to continuously be in our lives. It's not about lying on the couch and like smoking a joint, right? It's actually about going, I'm going into my life 
boots and all, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love the boots and all. I feel like that, yeah, there's a, this idea of the sacred rebel, you know, like, because that's enough, this is a little bit off course, but I feel like it's relevant when we're talking about healing and grieving and, and especially women, the idea of anger, right? And how repressed it is for so many women and how deeply we have been taught to repress it and for it to be bad and and it can be one of the really tricky ones for people to unpack like they can really struggle with their beliefs around anger and then even if intellectually they feel like they're getting okay with it on a physical and physiological level it's still really hard for them to express it so I really love the term sacred rage and I feel like sometimes when women can kind of get that phrase into their head, like sacred rage is what comes up when you see someone harming your child or sacred rage is what comes up when you see someone who's important to you in your life being treated really violently or, you know, there's, there's these parts, there is a place for anger and I think that the more that we become comfortable with that, and interestingly, you know, in the world in the world of Reiki, one of our, our precepts or our, our kind of guiding principles is do not anger. But that doesn't mean don't ever experience anger within you. It means when it arises, understand why it's there and be able to apply compassion so that you don't hurt anyone or yourself, you know. But it still exists, right? So it's like we still have to honour, and it's probably the one part of Reiki where I'm like, mm, I'd like to have a conversation with Makawa Sui about it if he was still alive, but <laughs> that's that's another thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but, 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 you know, really just being able to, to develop our own relationship with anger because I know, you know, I'm sure certainly in the work that you do with trauma and absolutely in the work that I do, with grieving and trauma, when someone is able to make space for the anger that they feel inside of them and let it out, oh, my God, it's transformative. When I've had women sitting with me talking oh, about yeah. how, you know, their mother passed away the week before their first child was born. And so we sit and we speak to the anger that that woman has towards her mother. How could you? How could you leave me? a week before my first child was born? How could you not be here, you know? Because we're really good at kind of processing intellectually and going, well, of course she didn't choose to die and, I, and I'm not actually mad at her. Like, But the feeling is there. It's in our body regardless of whether you want it or not. Mm. So it's like just deal yeah. with it. Yeah. Give, yeah. give it its voice in a really safe yeah. space. And let it out. Let it go. Yeah. And once people have said their piece, more yeah. often than not, yeah. they're like, oh, I feel so much better. Oh, totally. And you're so right. And definitely in the in the trauma work that I do, anger is huge because once we can actually experience our sacred rage, I love that term that you've given <laughs> it, but once we can experience sacred rage, it, 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 it really does like recalibrate our life force because suppressed anger can just be so destructive on our system but not only that but like you've said like beginning to understand that oh I can be sad 
because I've lost someone and I can be angry that they left my life as well and it doesn't mean I don't love them. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I think it's be part of it is because if we have had a long-running experience of being taught to repress anger, we're then afraid that if we do express it that we've got like <laughs> – 30 plus years of anger that wants to come out of us, you know. So there's this fear that, oh gosh, if I let the lid off that one, like what's going to happen? But again, it, that's not the truth of the situation. Mm -hmm. It's like we just start by just, a, just addressing what's present in the moment. Let's not project this fear into, well, what would happen if, or, you know, it's like, what's here right now? Okay, right now I have anger. I have an anger that my mum left me. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, let's sit with that for a minute. What does that anger want to say, you know, and just just allowing ourselves to be present. But what it does require is safe space and whether that safe space is with someone like you or myself that is actively holding space or whether it's just creating enough time in your day where you can remove yourself from your day-to-day -day thing. So for example, if you're a mother, you can make some time for yourself where the kids are not going to be around, where no one's going to be asking anything of you so that you do have a little bit of space to just be with what is, you know? And that's sometimes the simplest yeah. thing. Yeah. And I'm really glad Yeah. I'm really glad that you just brought up like, you know, if you're a mother and you you with kids and you want to remove yourself and sort of like tap into what's going on for you because the fact is that if we don't learn about our sacred rage and we don't learn how to be with it, we, we don't surrender into it and hold space for it, it does come out on those that we love. And it's unfortunate that that happens, but that is exactly what happens when we, when we do suppress our emotions. It's like so important to be able to look them in the eye and hold space for them and learn to love them actually for what they are. Absolutely. And not only that, if you're not able to hold space for your own anger, then you're far less likely to be able to hold space for any anger that they experience. Because like we, you know, this idea of if we can't have compassion and understanding for why we experience anger, or if we were never given that compassion and understanding for why we had anger, then it's much, much harder for us to do that for our children. It's much harder for us to empathise. And you see it often in in spaces where people say things, well, you know, back in my day, back in my day I had to do this or I didn't get that. You know, often we hear that from that kind of grandparent type voice, which is fine, although what it really just tells me is, gee, you didn't experience a lot of compassion, did you? because you're now finding it so hard to have compassion for a little person who's trying their best, you know? So it's like, for me, it's really important that we navigate our own internal experience, our own, you know, judged emotions so that we can come to terms with them and then be able to relate to our children in a, in a, in a much more, grounded and compassionate way yeah oh totally Erin and I love the fact that that Reiki can really oh my gosh hold that space in such a safe and beautiful way I'd never sort of looked at Reiki in that in that way but obviously it makes total sense that that unconditional life force just gives that person's soul that person's psyche that person's emotional body that person's physiology the space and the love and the connection to start to work through 
you know, what what wants to be worked through. And and I guess once like we look at it like that again, we can also take away all that wanting to analyze it and label it and so on. It's just not necessary, is it? No, that's it. Because a lot of the time people say, yeah, I just, I I don't know now what what I was so stressed about. You know, there's a lot of that that often comes at the end of a session. People just saying, I just, I feel really calm and I feel like stuff's just not getting to me, you know? So it's like it almost brings you back to this baseline where you can go, all right, like maybe there's still some stuff from my past, but from today I'm, I'm, I'm starting from this, this calm place and so I can be really intentional with what I do with my energy going forward. I can really make beautiful, loving choices for myself going forward because I'm feeling topped up. I'm feeling love for myself, you know, and we're so much better at looking after ourselves when we do feel love for ourselves. Yeah. If there's one thing that you could leave everyone with, Erin, about Reiki and I guess what it's taught you about life and, you know, how it can support people, what would it be? Big question, I know. (laughs) Well, it is a big question, so I'll just rely on spirit to give me an answer. Um, I would say this feels relevant to whoever's going listening to this that when you are struggling to find spaces to be held in the way that you crave being held in the way that you might crave being held by maybe for example your own mother that reiki is offering the holding of the divine mother You know, Reiki is this unconditionally loving energy that I encourage people to uh, fall into, you know, like to really allow yourself to release and soften into that loving space. Um, Yeah, you know, that that for me is the biggest piece around Reiki. We're, We're all craving being held we're all craving a space where we can just drop the luggage for a minute and and not have to carry the weight of everything and everyone and just soften into someone's embrace you know so that's that's how I see Reiki oh that's so beautiful Erin that makes me cry that's so beautiful (laughs) Just that space in your life where you can be held, yeah. Totally. Because yeah. it's hard. No, it's just, yeah, I was just saying, it is. It's hard. It's hard if you're a mum and you're a partner and even if you're not a mum or you don't have a partner, you're working a busy life, whatever. It's really hard to find a space where you can truly be held, where you don't feel like you have to be responsible for something. It's like you come and have a Reiki and it's all about you. So, um I will put your contact details in the show notes. So um, I know you work online. So anyone who's listening, if you feel like, you know, you're not um, anywhere near Erin, like Erin actually works online. So you can access her from anywhere in the world, which is just amazing and such a gift. Um, so please do. You can, yeah, so, the, so it's in the show notes. Um, and Erin, thank you so much. I really... Um, really appreciate you sharing that with us this morning and yeah giving us all that beautiful wisdom and it's like it's really nailed it for me too that just that that unconditional love which 
anyone who comes into my practice has not had that or doesn't have that as an ongoing experience. And just to experience that in itself is so healing. Mm, Absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to have the conversation. I think that, you know, this space that you're creating in conversation is really important Um, and I think that um, it's exciting, you know, it's exciting that we're starting to create more of these spaces for people to, you know, get the real healing and love that they need. So I'm really glad to be a part of it. Okay, my love. Thank you so so much, Erin.